Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today. As you may know, this is our special series called Ennea Summer 2020. The Enneagram is a tool that we love around here to help us know ourselves better and love our people better. It's just a tool, one of many that can help you with personal growth, but one we find really interesting and helpful here at That Sounds Fun. If you're just jumping in today, make sure you check out the Ennea Summer 2020 intro episode from Monday, June 29th with Sarah Jane Case, who you probably know and love. Today on the show, we are starting with the Enneagram 8s. If there is anything I learned in Ennea Summer 2019, it's that you do not start with the 1s, you start with the 8s. And so we will start with the 8s and work our way every Monday and Thursday to the 7s. The music in the background is from our good friend, Ryan O'Neill, better known as Sleeping at Last. He's created a song for each Enneagram type, and what you are hearing now is the Enneagram 8 song. Make sure you head to Spotify or Apple Music and listen to the whole thing. Read the lyrics, all of it. It will really add to your experience and deepen your knowledge of Enneagram 8s, and it's just a beautiful song. That's one of my goals is that you would collect up lots of information about each of our types as you get to know them, whether that's your type or whether it is someone's type that you love. It'll be helpful for the music and and for this episode. And remember, we have an Enneagram 8 episode from Ennea Summer 2019 with my friends Annie and Patrick, if you want to go back and hear that as well. This year, our Enneagram 8s are David and Leslie. I've known both of them for many years, and I'm so deeply appreciative of their love of justice, their leadership, and the way they both serve the people around them. But before we meet and get to know David and Leslie, our friend Seth Abram, y'all know him and love him, Enneagram expert. He's going to kill me for calling him an expert, but he is Enneagram expert and host of the Fathoms podcast. Is going to give us a quick overview of what we should know about the eights. And just so you know, Seth will be joining us at the beginning of each episode of this series. I think you're going to love his thoughts. So first, our conversation with Seth about Enneagram eights. All right, Seth, welcome. Hi. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. People are going to get so used to your voice over the month of July. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. They're going to hear you every single episode. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. It's going to be great. Tell me a little bit about your, give us a real short story of your journey toward the Enneagram and why you love learning about it and sharing about it. Yeah, initially, so I work for a church. Yep. And uh, the two guys that started the church, I don't know, seven-ish years ago, they came to, they planted the church with this with this thing, this weird thing in mind, you know, and they told us all about it. And mm-hmm. I'd never gotten into anything personality-wise, and so I'd just kind of brush it aside. And I was sort of told, you know, this is what you probably are. What? Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don't boss me. Yeah. And then uh, then it was a couple years later. I think it was uh, four years ago this this February that I found myself with Suzanne Stabile and one of her yeah, Know Your Number. Yeah, we love her here. Yeah. And I just remember the second day of the, of the workshop sitting in the middle of the room thinking, oh, I think I'm going to do something with this the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. And and I'll just say briefly, what, what I think that was, was it it showed me that uh, I think I've identified with these this patterned way of, of thinking and, and feeling and living um, my whole life that I didn't realize I was capable of so much more. Oh, wow. So it just kind of opened up all these questions like, what, what can I do? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it really opened me up to that. Yeah, I feel like one of the reasons we do this series is I feel like the Enneagram has been such a gift in self-discovery mm-hmm. and and being the best Annie I can be, but also in how to love my friends better and love the people around totally. me better. So we've said this a lot, but we'll say it again. The, the Enneagram is not the gospel. It's mm. just a tool, yep. right? It is just a tool we use alongside the other tools that God has given us and people have given us to become who we really want to be. Yeah. Does that feel fair? That's great. Okay. So today we're starting with the eights. We are. We had to start with the eights. (laughs) I learned my lesson in Enneagram 2019 that the eights would like us to start with the eights. Mm. So will you kind of give us like, give us an overview of eights? Yes. Before I get into that really quickly though, I just want to say, you know, I kind of see the Enneagram as basically nine representations of the image of God Mm, and our human capacity to reflect those or not. Sure. 
And th- I say that because this is how I'm going to get at naming the motivation behind the type. Yeah. So I'm going to start with uh, kind of the gift or the type's capacity to reflect the divine. Yeah. And then what it looks like when we lose contact with that and we try and create this gift on our own. In our yeah, own, that's on our beautiful. Own image, you know? Nine different ways we reflect the image of God. Another thing you say to me a lot is it's nine different pairs of glasses. Yeah. That the, that nine, that you put on one of those pairs and you see the world, but you're going to see it different than everybody yep. that is not your type and even the other people that are your type. Yep. We're going to get specific. Yep. Okay, so eights. All right. So Enneatype 8 is the point in the Enneagram that represents the body center's capacity for uh, power okay. and strength and, and uh, protection and this, this kind of uh, full, like, aliveness, this yeah. immediacy to them. You know, like, you know, like, I feel this, I'm here. Yeah. You know, this, this strength. So people who lead with Type 8, uh, they, they express things and experience things more directly, more unmediated and less filtered. Uh, I think, you know, if you've been around at eight before, you kind of sense this 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 bigness to them. Um, yeah, so they, they really express things as intensely as they, they feel it inside. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this 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 kind of innate self-confidence about them. And, uh, you know, this can feel intense to us, right? This can feel really intense, but it's really just this gift of their, their strong and powerful presence. Yeah. And so eights are, um, they're about empowerment, empowering others because they feel this this strength they want to share this you know this they're empowering other people and defending the innocent right you've mm-hmm. heard this before but fighting for the underdog um and in i really do think in their like fully showing up they invite us into the immediacy of life too oh, that's beautiful. yeah so the issue though for yeah. eights is when they feel like they're losing contact with this innate gift of strength and power and so like all the numbers what they do is they've got to try and manufacture this gift they got to try to recreate it mm. on their own and so what this starts to look like you know is you know they don't feel strong so they've got to power up mm. right and they've got to in their own strength yes totally yeah, yeah. And, and it looks often like uh, an ex- external hard shell, yeah. you know, and then they begin to get really afraid of of um, being vulnerable and seen as as weak, and so this power kind of the strength distorts into uh, controlling in order to not be controlled, and you know that looks it looks like their their fear of betrayal starts mm-hmm. to come out, mm-hmm. um, and they can be known a little bit more by what they're against, yeah, you know, um, and so they can begin to look confrontational and even sometimes domineering but it's really about this lust for intensity because that's what feels like their gift yeah right and so ultimately eights are uh motivated by this need to feel powerful and they work really hard not to be vulnerable or dependent on other people mm-hmm. so what is why do we need eights in our lives uh yeah i you know we need all the numbers but specifically yeah. for eights you know i think they're really not afraid to do and say what needs to be said and done yeah you know there's this this uh this immediate directness about them but also i think about decisiveness um you know the phrase ready aim fire yeah uh for three sevens and eights but especially eights you can kind of flip that and it's like (laughs) fire ready aim (laughs) yeah you know so we need this though we need this decisiveness this quick decision making right it's that's a really that's amazing thing we need from them but i also think of just their their ability to be protective yeah and this comes from this soft but big big yeah. heart that they they can cover up when you know when they're afraid but yeah that's what i was going to ask you is what do they offer the world but it's that it's protection yeah 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 we need that um what should we listen for in this conversation with david and leslie our two eights yes awesome um uh, i think you're going to probably hear some boldness yeah some bluntness you know maybe even some level of authority uh you know there's orientation towards truth and justice um, but also you might perceive some confrontational kind of energy or combativeness. I don't know. But hopefully hopefully you'll hear some vulnerability yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, how can we stay in touch with you? How can we follow you? Yeah, you can follow Integrated Enneagram on Instagram or um, at uh, the Fathoms podcast. So at Fathoms dot Enneagram. Enneagram. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so we'll see you when we talk about the nines. You got it. Thanks. So here's a really special conversation with our Enneagram 8s, David and Leslie. Wow, that was a delayed start. Sorry, oh. I know. I hit record it, didn't care. What an eight. <laughs> Even the machine. Today, the machine is an eight. It's our vibes. That's right. Even the machine. You guys, thank you for doing this today. Yeah. I'm so thank happy. You're, and I like that y'all don't super know each other. No. So that makes this, you're just going to get mm-hmm. to know each other. Mm-hmm. Leslie, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Okay, so my uh, I currently work in a position in ministry where I um, lead a team for kids and student ministry. Yeah, 
Uh, I also am very passionate about racial reconciliation, so I co-lead a group around racial reconciliation as well. Um, And so, honestly, it's just kind of leaning into the areas of church ministry Mm -hmm. that I feel like God has specifically designed me for and given me passion for Mm. and trying to just figure that out and go for it. Yeah. And what's your family unit situation? My family unit situation. um, (laughs) Yes. You like that phrase? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So I am um, divorced. I have two children. Uh, I have a 16-year-old, Olivia. We're working on driving. Yep. (laughs) And I have a 12, almost 13-year-old son, Ethan. Okay. Who... Love soccer. Yeah, well, nice. don't we all? Well and done. video games during quarantine. Oh, gosh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Okay, David, who are you? Is there a level of an American soccer lover that you start to call it football, or do you always yeah. call it soccer? No. Mm. There's a level. But people like also kind of eye roll European you when you do it. Football, or how, is there a way to like... <laughs> Non-American football? Do you judge it? I think some people say. I think some people say football. I don't mean American football. You know, Mm. real football. That's it. That's it. That's That's how it goes. And then those people, you're like, all right. Ah, we get it. We we get get it. it. You have a lot of scarves. Your number is showing. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, tell us about yourself, sir. Um, I am a songwriter. Uh, My wife and I lived in LA for about 15 years. And I was out there writing and then moved here four years ago now. I can't believe that. Four years, yeah. yeah. And we've got four little girls at home, the oldest of which is about to be 13, the youngest is six, and uh, they're into like swimming. We have, we just got a pool and that's, and it's a big deal for them. And a hot tub. Don't. And a hot tub. That's true. (laughs) Just to be clear to everyone, when you go to David's house, you're getting all the things. That sounds a a little creepy the way you're. Come on over. We've got a hot tub. But yes, we do. It turns out. But as a matter of fact, um, David, one of the early things I want you to talk about is why you always wear boots. Oh, I've laxed on this a little bit. Oh, have you? But you did today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, because I went to a counselor and I told him about this and he was like, bro, you probably like could chill out a little bit. Really? So since I was... I don't know how long I've known about the Enneagram. Probably six or seven years. Maybe you're not way long. ahead of me. Yeah, it's been over five, but yeah. definitely not ten years. Anyway, but well before that, when I was probably twenty years old, yeah, moving out of my parents' house, kind of living in my own place, I always wore shoes that I felt like if it hit the fan, I was ready to go. Like whatever I needed to do, if I needed to fight. And I'm not like a fighter. I'm not stoked about the idea of that, but like whatever I needed to do, I was going to be ready for it. And I would see friends of mine wear flip-flops around. It's like, bro, you are not prepared. (laughs) (laughs) You are not ready for what might happen. Yeah, and he was like, prepared for what? I was like, exactly. I don't know, (laughs) man. So anyway, so I told the counselor this probably a year or two ago, and he was like, Maybe as a practice, you should wear flip-flops every once in a while. Oh, wow. Just to force yourself. Just to force myself to, like, not to be always thinking about whatever the next thing is and, like, just to be settled in the moment or whatever. Yeah. I don't totally love it, though. I do yeah. like the idea of just just to be prepared, yeah, which I guess is, feels a little sexy, but. Yeah, one time I was at his house, and I he was wearing them inside, and I, and I said, what are you doing? He's like, I have five women. I have to protect them. I have to be ready. Oh. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> well, you're ready with your boots yeah. on. <laughs> it isn't like a, but my wife is a six and it isn't like a fear of like, what's going to happen. It's like, oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. And I, I will be, be prepared for it. For yeah. people to enjoy. She was actually our six on the 2019 oh, yeah. Summer Show. Yeah. So people can go back after this and listen to her on the sixth Love show, it. and they will get the full experience of it's the family. It's like you'll be in our marriage. It's like be sitting in the hot tub with us. <laughs> Play them back to back. It's like a, just a time in the hot tub. Here we are. <laughs> Leslie, tell me how you discovered you were an eight. And we're trying to be careful around here saying it's not that you are an eight. It's that you identify as an eight. We, we understand that that's the better language. But okay. how did you get into Enneagram and how did you figure out your eightness? It actually took me a little bit of time. I think I knew right away, but it took me a while to settle on it mm-hmm. because it surprised me. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I actually did a one-on-one 
a workshop or like a one-on-one time with Seth Abram. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. when he's I f- on every show this year. So they've oh. already heard him explain eights a little oh, bit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it my, it started with him. Yeah. And we narrowed it down. It took us a little bit. Um, and we kept going back and forth between an eight and a two. But very I, Southern Christian woman of you. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure a two. Yeah. I'm an eight. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like the motivations. I was like, I yeah. don't resonate with that at all. Yeah. So it. So and then I did a day long workshop at Onsite on mm-hmm. um, on the Enneagram. But what finally sealed the deal is I was actually with our good friend Lindsay. Yeah. And she saw me stand up for someone, and she said, "And you question if you're an eight. Oh, wow. And I was like, "Oh, you're so right." Yeah. But I think when it finally settled on me that that passion and like exuberance that I feel for justice is that driving force that makes me so resonate as an eight. Like, because I think I had to recognize the different pieces of being an eight before it fully made made sense to me. Yeah. Was it a slow uptick for you too, David? Not necessarily. The the guy who taught Kate and I about the Enneagram, Kate was trying to, reading through different things, and he was talking about each each of the numbers, and Kate was kind of settling in on something. And he was like, "Well, you don't have to worry about that." And I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, because you've got tattoos on your hands. You're you're an eight. <laughs> and I must say, it does feel like this may be different from a female perspective, but I know most of the male eights that I know, there isn't this like tragic, like, oh, I, I, you know, you find the the your biggest weakness, and that's what your number is, or that your right, source right. of pain." I feel like most male eights are like, uh, hell yes, I'm an eight. Yeah. That, that is correct. You better believe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With pleasure, I'm yeah. an eight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When David leaves voicemails on your phone, he says, this is David, the one with tattoos on his hands. Right. Just in case, <laughs> I'm always like, just in case you I have your phone number saved. I know exactly who left I this voicemail. I know who you are. Yes. And also, yes, I know you have tattoos on your hands. Oh, man. <laughs> Tell me what you... I mean, if if that's true, if most male eights are great with it, mm-hmm. what is hard about it? I mean, the we I think that there's a there's a strength in that strength, but we I think we oftentimes like with social media we start to become like characterized versions of ourselves. Yeah, and the idea that eights are always strong or are always confident, always can take a punch. It's like, no, we're also humans too. And we also need moments to be, to feel like we are unsure or to be childlike. I mean, honestly, a big thing that's, I think happened in my marriage the last couple of years is me recognizing that I don't always have to be the strong one. Mm. And then Kate recognizing like, oh, she can help, help, give space for me to I don't know to either be playful or to be I guess I'm kind I'm maybe more commonly playful already but like just to be I don't know to be uh, more like a kid because that is Mm -hmm. definitely the missing piece I think from my story I remember being seven or eight years old and thinking I want to be an adult I want to be taken seriously and I want to be worth being taken seriously I had no interest in being a kid while I was a kid and now it's like oh maybe Maybe it's good to hold on to some of that yeah. stuff. Man, yeah. a seven-year-old boy being like, I want to be taken For seriously. Real, yeah. How adorable. <laughs> well, yeah. And he would not have wanted to be called adorable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. He's pissed about, He pissed yeah. I even said that. I get <laughs> yeah, exactly. it. The little David in you is like, yeah. what did you say, uh, th- Yeah, and I see pictures of me like, oh, he is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leslie, what's hard about being an eight? I do think that there is a difference definitely in being a female eight. Yeah. You really, I, for a while, like when I first discovered it, it was empowering. I was like, yes, this is like the true me. And now I can recognize it and go with it. And, you know, like, and so there was like, it felt empowering to me to finally kind of be able to name and understand some of the driving forces inside me. But then there was this very quickly followed, oh gosh, like, I don't want people to think I'm a, B word, mm-hmm. um, like which I'll, is what a lot of female eights, yeah, get labeled. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I want them to see like my humanness beside behind the 
force and behind mm-hmm. the passion. I want them to see the heart behind it. Yeah. And so that for a while, I feel like it made me back off even about things I was passionate about because I, I was worried I was like going to be too much, too much force. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, man, I have such a like a soft spot for every uh, there's a handful of female eights that I know really well. And I think the plight of the female eight can be really tricky, especially in Christian circles or whatever else that, yeah, that strength is not seen as an asset. But yeah, I think it's a, it can be a tricky road. How do we fix yeah. that? I mean, I've always loved, this is true in the music business too, that if if a woman, if a man is strong, then he's confident. And if a woman is strong, then she's a diva. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved, and I think a lot of female fours in the music business as well, like either they shrink back and make themselves smaller because they don't want to be seen as something that they're not, or they own that space and they realize that there's just going to be people that are going to think of them a certain way. And it's like, you know what? I don't have time to convince you of my goodness. I'm just going to keep on the path of the thing that I'm doing. Mm. And I love those women. I think they're seeing that happen is really special and profound. And I think, I don't know. So I think in the church, that's probably part of it too. It's like, I'm just going to, I got to, do the work that I, that's ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And if you guys aren't on board with that, my job isn't to make all of you feel comfortable or happy or whatever. Yeah. Do you feel that, Leslie? Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like that's, you pretty much named, like I feel like what my transition has been, especially recently, honestly, quarantine time. Really? Is, is deciding, because I think for me as a female eight, it was a decision of saying, this is how I'm created to be, and there's a reason. Mm. And so I have to lean into that reason. If I'm driven by this deep sense of justice and passion for whatever it could be, then there's a purpose in that, and so I can't shrink from it. And so either the people around me are going to support it and and encourage it, Mm -hmm. or maybe they'll be offended by it. But I also can't control their reaction or perception of it. And so there's been a lot of that for me, especially over just the last few months saying, no, like, like God made me this way on purpose. Like there's like, there's a reason why I'm driven the way I am and I cannot shrink, shrink back. Why did that happen during the pandemic? I think it's been just a lot of the different, well, one, I think at the beginning having, I've done a lot of like personal work on myself and trying to understand and things like that, but new things came up, you know, like new things when you're at home and you have time on your hands and um, you're processing through some things where you're normally just being on the go all the time. Yeah. Like some things fast. Do y'all do things fast? Are you on the go all the time? I think we're fast because we're decisive. I don't, but we're- we're not necessarily smarter than anyone else. Yeah. We're just we'll just go with the thing that's in front of us. Okay, oh, so was, pandemic yes, yeah. slowed you down. Action, action, like we go off of our gut. So it's like you're willing to just go because yeah. it just makes sense in your brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I Eight, know nines what to and do. ones go off their gut, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And f- so for me, with quarantine, giving me a little bit of time to kind of have some things come back up. Also, I think just the unrest in our world right now because I am so deeply passionate about injustice. I think also coming face to face with that, like already it had been so important to me, but then it being so everywhere right now, like I was like, you just can't, you can't shrink back. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, between me spending a lot of time just processing um, some things from my past and what could be holding me back, what could be making me feel like that's not, like a lady to be that way oh that's it or that's not an emotion you should have um like anger right like i think it was always like well i can't express anger Mm -hmm. yeah and so when you are really passionate about injustice not being able to express anger right is a a contradiction yeah and so i think the combination of those things the combination of understanding the things that i was hiding and like feeling like i couldn't access and then being almost forced to because i care so much it was kind of like no, like we're going to yeah. do this, you yeah. know, and, and there will be people that won't be a fan, but that's also okay. Yeah. So I think I, I, I'll be interested to hear when we talk to the male too, if there's some of that same feeling of like, because I'm a male, I'm not allowed to be. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a female and an, as an eight, 
I'm not allowed to be as angry as I feel. I'm not allowed to be as loud as I feel. I'm not allowed to be as strong as I feel. Do you feel that in you at times? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I often, I think especially being in church world, like, and it's not even the fault. I think it's just that what has been. And so no one's like aware of it. Yeah. But like you, like I often feel somewhat stuck. Yeah. Because you're like, no, I can see a path and let's go and let's do this. And yeah, but, but you feel also, and this could be like from long ago, like church history, but like <laughs> you feel like you have a place you're supposed to yeah. take. Yeah. And, and you're, you should be happy there. And that is your spot to hold. Yeah. And so to challenge that feels daunting. Yeah. Costly. Costly. David, tell me about pandemic for y'all. What was it like for you? you I mean, you've got all the girls at the house, mm-hmm. but when that thing whole when that whole thing started as an eight, what's what's your the first thing was uh, this isn't real, <laughs> mainly because I and I do think you're it allowed is, to say that if you think. Well, no, I I think it is real, but but I don't think people truly understand how fundamentally against the mind of an eight is like everything I read, everything someone tells me all the time. It's like, nope. Yeah. Or maybe. Yeah. (laughs) But it always starts with like, "Mm, I don't really buy that, which I do think can give you a sense of discernment that everything starts with a baseline of like, "Eh, uh, I'm going to have to see some more proof on that. And then as as things build up, as opposed to just assuming. Well, that's very helpful. You know, that's one of the most helpful things about being your friend is I am the opposite of like, oh, he said that? That's true. (laughs) Oh, she said that? That's true. And you're like, Annie, I'm going to send you three other things to read. And then you can have an opinion. I mean, your your discernment is important. Well, I also think, and maybe this is connected to my work, but I'm very I think I'm consciously optimistic. Not cautiously, consciously. Like yeah. I wake up and I and I really think if you work in the arts and you're not optimistic, I I don't think you can be successful in the arts if you're mm-hmm. not optimistic. Mm-hmm. You have to assume that things are going to be able to work, that this story that we're telling is going to be valuable. Wow. It just gives you momentum in the process of doing it. And right. man, you really need momentum. So I, I don't know if that's a weird combination of being optimistic, but also being coming from that eight perspective. As it was all starting off, I was actually hanging out with a friend, and he was like, "Hey, we should watch that movie uh, Contagion," but right before everything was taken <laughs> off, and he was like, "But maybe I'm nervous about it." I was like, "Oh, we definitely should watch it." <laughs> and as we're watching the movie, I'm laughing. I'm like. This is total madness. Had you seen it before? I had. I think I saw it when it came out ten yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah. or whatever. Okay. So I'd kind of forgotten about it. And no, no less than a week later, all these things started to happen and stack yeah. up. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, whoa, <laughs> hey, it's getting a little close to home here." Um, as far as just the quarantining part of it, I mean, because Kate and the girls were there, we had a friend of mine that was in town, and he and I were working together. Yeah. We actually made a whole album in about five weeks, <gasps> wrote every song, produced everything, mixed the whole thing ourselves, and it's it's coming out this Friday. Oh, good. Um, we'll share it. What's it called? The band is called Hemispheres. Wait, you started a new band during well, the pandemic? I got, we okay. had the time. Dear everyone, <laughs> listen to time. this. Yeah. You started an entire band. Yeah. Well, we say <gasps> band, but yeah, it's me and my buddy Fakayo. You know Fakayo. Oh, yeah. I love him, yes. So he, he was in L.A., and he was coming to Nashville to write for a week or two, and then because or of six, yeah, because of the pandemic, he was here for I think nine weeks, maybe. Oh wow! So we wrote this whole album. Actually, the album is called Grief, and it's two songs for each of the stages of grief, and wow. like it walks through this concept of it. So I wonder if, as the pandemic was happening in real time, we're kind of processing through this denial and anger and bargaining and depression, each of the kind of phases wow. of it while we were going. And I I am such a firm believer that art gives value to our pain, but also can maybe not confine it, but gives it, gives it its own appropriate space. Mm. At least as a creator of art, when I, when something feels overwhelming to me and I'm able to give it, 
recognition through a song or through a story, I can let go of it in a certain way. I can set it aside and it's like, okay, now that song is the container of whatever that emotion is. And now I don't feel like I have to carry that emotion anymore. I don't have to suppress it and pretend it doesn't matter, isn't wow. isn't real. I can say, oh, this is a place for that thing. So there's, I think there was just a real catharsis for us in the process of quarantine. I was a big fan of quarantine. I, just, I felt really? like we got a lot of work done. We were able to focus on what we were doing. It was a lot of time for me and Kate and the girls to hang out together. So yeah. it didn't it didn't shake me, I think, in, in ways that it did a lot of people, just because practically what was around me made it work. So With Kate being a six, was there a lot of we're going to be okay conversations? Or, or was it like she was born for this? <laughs> I think have, it's more that. I yeah. think it's more the second. Yeah. That she – I think sixes – can often, they're often the most uh, out of their element when everything is fine. Mm. When th- when when things go wrong, it's when sixes become activated of like, see, I was prepared for this. <laughs> see, we have all the food and for this. And now we're going to, yeah. not even like I told you so, but it's like all these things are lined up. We're yeah. good to go. Yeah. So it's it was, I think, cool to see her be able to really step up and own that space. And also knowing that it could have been a lot worse, a lot more. Sure aggressive than it was. And so I think we were through the process, just really grateful that like, oh, this is, we see what it looks like if we are, if we homeschool the kids, we see what it looks like if this house in this backyard is our world and how do we, you know, navigate that stuff. So, I mean, so it sounds like both of you really kind of would give a good grade to the pandemic. Like you both kind of learned something and grew out of it. Would Mm -hmm. that be true? Does that sound true? It's definitely true for me. I I will say I did not enjoy probably the first month for sure. Like it felt somewhat just torturous for me. I was like, I need people. Yeah. Like I need to be working on things. Like it just felt. And and there was, I think it was also like, it was hard to know what to work on. And I need to like have like a, like a driving force. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard for me. But that was also the time that I felt like some things happened that now make me glad for quarantine. Hmm. That was the time that I was quiet enough and still enough to where things came up that I was able to, okay, that's something I need to take care of. That's something I need to work on. After about a month, then I found my own rhythm and could figure out like how to keep motivated. Um, But the first month was hard. But then I would say by the end of it, I'm definitely grateful for it. And seeing how things have moved and changed within it uh, makes it makes it feel worth it. I'm trying to stay true to the process of any a summer. And so I'm starting with y'all interviewing first and releasing first. Mm. I am fascinated to see how many other numbers created bands or learned something new about themselves in the middle of quarantine. That just feels, that's so interesting to me. Yeah. That that's where y'all what ended would up. Do you guess that people were just kind of paralyzed by it? or? Yeah, I yeah. know some people who are paralyzed by it. I was not, but my eight wing is so strong. I mean, my yeah. I, there are days where if I wasn't so publicly a seven, I would really assess whether I'm an eight with a seven wing. <laughs> but I just think my... You're a little pot committed now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, it's a little public. I'm kind of stuck. I'm on uh, the Ryan song as a seven. I don't have a choice. But my motivations are far more sevens. Talk a little bit about that because, because your behaviors aren't what determine your Enneagram number anyway. Mm-hmm. So what are the motivations? What are the... What are the things behind being an eight? How did you know that was you? For me, it definitely is that I I have this passion inside of me to, to make a difference for other people. Mm. So, and, and it was hard for me to name that for a long time because it can express itself in my life in really different ways. Yeah. But I have this just deep, like, like I it doesn't come out with me often of like me standing up for myself yeah it's more if someone else is mistreated like watch out yes and so for me it's this driving force of how do we help people that need help how Mm -hmm. do we stand up for people that need to be stood up for Mm -hmm. I do think some of that comes from you know a past of feeling either that I was put in a position where I needed to do that yeah or I didn't feel protected. 
Yeah. And so there is also that piece of it where they say like betrayal mm-hmm. is like something that. That's y'all's big thing, right? Betrayal is oh, like, yeah. see you yes. later. Yeah. Yes. So where I definitely see that that side of the justice piece of it, I also see where I do try and protect myself. Mm-hmm. I do try and um, there, I, I will often notice that there is an armor that I don't even know is there. Mm. And the Enneagram is the first time I ever realized that. Because I saw myself as being pretty open, pretty transparent, and I have taught myself to be vulnerable, but it still takes a lot out of me because and it, and it goes down to the betrayal part and not feeling like I can trust, not feeling like I can trust people. Yeah. David, talk about that. Talk about yeah. loyalty and betrayal to you. That probably is the defining piece that really resonates as the eight to me. I, I will say and I could be wrong about this, All a lot of language of wings and lines of integration and disintegration. And what I have found is as a father, as a husband, as a businessman, as a friend, as a creator, uh, hopefully as a healthy human, I can be, I can wear the clothes that I need to in the situations that I'm in. The trick to me with the number is that I, I can't ever get away from the eight part of it. Mm. But I can be analytical. I can be a five if I need to in a moment. I can be yeah. artistic. I can be, uh, you know, leading a group together. I can I can be the moral one, although the, the one is a hard one for the eight to get to. <laughs> I, I have a lot of one friends that I yeah. really love, but I'm like, uh-huh. loosen up, bro. It's all right. Um, <laughs> but the portrayal piece, I can go back to a couple of specific moments in my life that I think defined who I was because of being betrayed. But I think even before those were there, I was always I was al- always ready to protect myself from yeah. an inevitable betrayal. And that's, I think, another mm-hmm. part of the last couple of years of Kate and I. My, my uh, vantage point to like how, the way I'm a good friend is that you, that I, you'll never, sorry, I'll never need anything from you. Mm-hmm. I'm a good friend because I've got my stuff together and I can be a shoulder you can cry on. I can help you with something. I can stand up for you. Uh, I can give you perspective or whatever else, but I'm not going to ask anything from you. And that's why I'm a good friend. And over time, I realized like, no, allowing yourself to be loved Mm. is part of the thing. Right. Um, And especially with friends of mine who were not these assertive, aggressive types. When I mentioned it to, it was actually my buddy Joey, who I think you've met along yeah, the way. Yeah. He's a he's a nine and really smart, just kind of sees the whole picture. And I was revealing this to him, and he was like, "Yeah, I was waiting for you to come around to it eventually." <laughs> but I really thought, like, I'm a good friend because I'm I'm never going to drain you. I'm never going to take anything from you because yeah. I I've got all my stuff together and I can be helpful to the people around me. And I. And I still think there's some truth to that, but man, if you lose the balance of you don't, if you don't allow yourself to be loved, if you don't allow your other people around you to have these hand to be able to hold on to you through this your own brokenness or the things that you need help with, like then it's you're only going to go so far. So I think there's something profound about that dynamic that eights so often just stay walled up, and we think that's really good for us and for the people around us, but there's you can definitely push that side of it too far. Yeah. Is that in you? The like? Oh, I resonated hard with what he just was talking about with relationships, friendships. I do, like there's something that I'm glad that I can be be strong for my relationships. Like I'm glad I can offer perspective and be like a, a calm influence in their life. But I have actually said the words to myself, especially lately, let people love you. Yeah. Wow. Let people love you too. And that doesn't make us smaller. It doesn't make us weaker. It makes us human. Like it's, but it's, that takes a lot of work for me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear you both say that to immediately go, well, that doesn't make us smaller because the majority of people listening would never go, of well, of course it doesn't make you smaller. But to both of you, you're like, here's what we need to know. Yeah. Here's what needs to be said to the eights. Yeah. To be to be allowing someone to love you speaks speaks does not speak lowly of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, y'all. And and I think too, to let them love you and also it's okay if you need them. 
because mm-hmm. I think that's been hard for me too. Is like I keep myself. I somehow have it in my head that I can be strong enough not to need other people. Yeah. How um, much do you think Enneagram is nature versus nurture for you? Do you think it's both or do you think, I mean, you, David, you said I was born this way, but also. Rarely do you have siblings who are the same number. Right. And they're probably, I mean, they have a dynamic between each other being the first and the youngest and the middle or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're growing up in the, for the most part, the same home with the same structure and set of rules. Yeah, none of us are the same in my family. Yeah, I think it's, I think there's some stuff really, really deep down in it. I would lean more towards the nature than the nurture of it. Yeah, same, Leslie. Agreed. Yeah. I definitely think some of my, like, I could see where some of it plays out from nurture, but I do think so much of it is just innately in us. Yeah. For sure. One of the things that, uh, I want, I love doing these shows for is that for the people that are listening that are eights, this is great because I will say y'all, y'all are welcome to agree or disagree. Y'all are two very healthy eights in my life. And so people listening get to hear healthy eights talking about who they are, but also, you know, eight out of nine people listening aren't eights. Right. And so tell, I want us to be really good friends to our eights. What do you need from your friends and from the people that are in your life? I, I actually have an example of this. It was interesting because when I um, I was thinking about the fact that the team I lead, they were saying yesterday, like during quarantine, like one of them in particular was like, gosh, I was talking to my family and I was talking about how you've actually been like my therapist, you know, and like uh. you've like all this kind of stuff. And so one of our other coworkers that was listening in, she texted me this morning and she said, you know, I remember you talking early on in quarantine that there's such a thing as secondary trauma. And as we walk with people, we'll be taking things on. And she said, I know right now with you, you're fighting a lot of battles, but are, are you taking time to talk Mm. to someone? Who's your person? Like who's, and like, it was so interesting because in that moment I was like, I do have people that I process with for sure, but I don't have a lot of people checking in on me saying, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And so her checking in on me and saying, are you okay? Are you taking care of yourself? Like it actually made me teary because I was like, that just doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. And I know it's because of how I present for sure. Um, But just having someone that simple, like just, are you okay? Are you taking care of yourself? Like that just meant a whole lot. Yeah. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with our friends, David and Leslie, our Enneagram 8s, to tell you about one of our favorite partners, Third Love. Third Love does bras differently. They believe that every woman deserves to feel comfortable and confident every day. And with the right kind of support, they can help her do this. Uh, you know, it starts with the Fit Finder quiz. Y'all have heard me tell you about it before. You answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in just 60 seconds. So over 15 million women who've taken the quiz to date. It's actually pretty fun to take and takes less than a minute to complete. And shape matters as much as size when you are finding a good fit. And Third Love helps you identify both shape and size and find styles that fit your body. And I love this. They stand behind their products. If you don't love the bra you ordered, every customer has 60 days to return and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. I absolutely love my Third Love bras. Hands down, the most comfortable bra you're going to own. Straps don't slip and the labels are tagless, which is great because that means no itching. They're lightweight, super thin memory foam cups that mold your shape. I just absolutely love them. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for every one of my girlfriends out there. So right now they are offering my listeners 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash sounds fun now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash sounds fun for 15% off today. And now back to the show. Do you find being a single woman and an eight that that feels stronger than it did when you were married or the the need to feel and the want to feel like someone sees you? 
Is that stronger as a single woman or more predominant to you as a single woman? Predominant. Dominant to you as a single woman? I think when it comes to like that, like a relationship like that, I find myself, that's probably still one of my bigger battles in being an eight is that I think through some of my like history, it's still that you want to have a softness to you being a female. And so I, I will find that like, I will, I will curb, Mm -hmm. I will curb that when Mm -hmm. it comes to being seen um, in, in like a, a relationship romantic type situation. I will say who I'm currently involved with. I feel like it is, he's, he's a five. Okay. (laughs) And so it actually is very helpful for me because we can talk in ways where I can express all of my like passion about what I'm upset about or what I, you know, and he can bring such a rational calming perspective and help me fine tune things or craft things in a way. And so what I've found, it's surprising that you would think like as in, as with Enneagram eight, that I might need like someone that accesses feelings more, but because so much of what I do is driven by emotion and feeling, it's actually nice to have someone that can remove emotion and feeling and help me think about it in a more concrete way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. That's so interesting. So for me, that's been helpful because even though eights don't present this way, most of what drives me is a lot of emotion and passion. So I like the practical, help me think through this clearly and put steps to what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's the gut thing, right? I mean, y'all have a lot of feelings. You operate out of, I know what I feel. Here we go. Right. Yes. Am mm-hmm. I saying that correctly? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. David, what do you need from your friends? Even your dude friends, yeah. like n- not just Kate or not just the women. Even but... my dude friends? Yeah. Even yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think about my male eight friends who are listening or yeah. the guys who are listening who have friends that are eights. Mm-hmm. What does it look like with your bros and with people like me who are mm-hmm. females that are good friends of y'all's? What, what do you need from your people? I think that makes a lot of sense. Having someone that is that pushes through that outer shell to to really find that the vulnerable or emotional self and checking in on that and being yeah. engaged to it. Yeah. The reason it the reason it's hard or the reason it takes a lot of effort to do that, I think, first of all, is when people say, How's your day or whatever, like they don't really mean that. And as an eight, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna show vulnerable parts of who I am to someone unless I'm convinced that they're sincere and they a, they have my back and they actually want to know. Yeah. So it will take three times to ask me before I would even consider opening up. A, because I, I, I may not know them or may not trust them or I just even people that I know love me. It's like that's not what they're really asking. So we really yeah. won't get into that yet. And because I don't – it takes me a long time to process that I actually need people to check in on me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Fakayo is a great example of yeah. he is always pushing – to like, hey, are you okay? Is everything? Are I know that you're, you seem like put together and strong, but like, are you cool? And I'm like, yes, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> what? A, oh, yeah, I do need to talk about some stuff. <laughs> I mean, and I honestly, it will take a long time to even know yeah. that that's needed. There, there's a, a one of the things Chris told me early on about eights, and because he's an eight as well. Yes, it's like eights just have this penchant for vulgarity and like you're we say the things that you're not supposed to say i would think yeah. working in the ministry that would be tough <laughs> there's a reason why i don't I was gonna say, there's music. a reason you yeah. haven't <laughs> but but i would I, I really want and i so i i started keeping note of it and in almost every writing session i'm in i don't do this on purpose but I will say something off color in the first 10 minutes of every session. Yeah. The cheaper, the shallow end version of that is I'm testing to see if you can hang. But that's, a that's I think, pretty self-serving. I really think, or at least I hope that healthy eights, we really do it to let everyone in the room know that it's like, 
I'll be the bad guy. Like, I'll, I'll be the baseline. The yeah. <laughs> totally. Like you can be, especially in a creative environment, yeah. you can be yourself here. And I, I'm, I produce as well. So most, almost all of my sessions are in my studio space. Yeah. So as someone's coming into my world, especially an artist that maybe I don't know very well, then we're going to ask them to tell all their stories to us and we're going to try to build a piece of art around that. My hope is that they feel as comfortable as possible. And so in trying to make them feel comfortable, I'll I'll be the the one who says the thing and they're like, Oh, okay, I so I can be Yes, I, I can, can be make myself here right too. Here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But twenty five percent of the time it backfires on me and they're like, <laughs> You are an animal. I'm like, You are <laughs> probably correct. That's, you should go. <laughs> that's probably good. I mean, I'm sure in the first 10 minutes that you and I met as we were at the airport heading over to yes. Jerusalem, I'm sure I said some stuff that you're like, who is this guy? Yes. I mean, I remember, but I, but I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be so fun. Right, yeah. I remember thinking, I don't know anybody like this guy. And I mean, even your, what people can't see is your arms are literally covered in tattoos down yeah. to your knuckles. Yeah. I mean, you present with, I am going to do something that you're not going to think I maybe should have done. <laughs> right. And I'm exactly. going to start by showing you the tattoos on my hands. Yeah. And therefore, I mean, you really, you're the first eight that I loved. Yeah. That I thought like, oh, I, this is why I love eights hmm. is because of David. Oh, and that's David, sweet. I yeah, love that. it's true. I remember my mom, when I started getting tattoos in my early 20s, my mom was real sad about it. She, to this day, is probably still real sad about it. <laughs> but she said... She's like, David, I just feel like with those tattoos, like people are never going to get to know the nice young man that you are because of those. And I think she's probably right. In my head, I'm like, I don't care about those people. Right. But it really, it again, this was well before I knew anything about the Enneagram, but it totally feeds into that eight thing where it's like, if you think that people who have tattoos are bad people... Cool. That's a place for us to start. That's right. And then now, <laughs> now either we build from there or you walk away, and that's cool because I got other friends. And I, yeah. I mean, I, I do care about people. I really do. But if if that's going to be enough for you to walk away, then yeah, it's probably going to be a rough road for us. So for people to know that eight for the most part do that not to try to push people out, but to really try to pull people in. Yeah. And then also beautiful. like I, I really. I learned so much from people disagreeing with me. I mean, my relationship with Chris, I think, is a great example of this. Most of the time we hang out, we're arguing with each other. Uh And I know that he loves me and he knows that I love him. And I feel like we really, I just, I I gain so much from people that will stand up and argue with me. They don't have to, like, call me names, but, but I really get a lot from from people who are going to push back. Yeah. And I do think a lot of times people who don't like confrontation, it's not like I'm stoked about confrontation. I just want to keep learning. I want to be a better version of myself tomorrow than I was today. And us agreeing on everything isn't really going to make either of us any better. So as we push and pull back against each other, I love that. Those are my favorite people to be around. Huh. And I think just most people don't see it like that. And again, I'm not saying that everyone should be like that, but just know probably with your eight friends, they're they're probably doing that because they because they think your opinion is valuable, and so they want to be proven wrong. Like, tell yeah. me where I where I'm seeing this incorrectly. Yeah, that used to be scary to me with eights. It's yeah. like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, you're right. And then I was like, oh, David said I'm supposed to tell him what I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just supposed to put my head underwater, literally. And, <laughs> and eights should do a good job of affirming that early on yeah like if if i push up against someone and they pipe up a little bit i need to i need to let them know that like oh i haven't seen it like that before mm-hmm. still wrong but <laughs> let's keep going here because we because i'm not going to pretend yeah I, i'm not going to pretend because i don't think we gain any from things right. like that either but i really the back and forth of it i think eight are really charged by that thing yeah and i think in for the most part can be in healthy ways but a lot of people think like, uh, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, let's go for I it. I think so. <laughs> Leslie, do you and your five argue? We definitely debate. Most of our conversations are around 
serious topics. Uh-huh. Like I have to remind myself, like one of the things I completely agree with that about like loving when people will be willing to challenge you, because yeah. for me, I really like healthy debate because it helps me grow. But when someone's willing to debate, to debate with me, it gives me permission to debate. Oh, yeah. You're just like, somebody else build the boxing ring so we can yeah. get in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, yes, let's talk about something and get to, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. solve the issue or the world or whatever, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And so um, I will say, I, I would not say that we argue a lot, but we do have deep, like, important discussions like it's there's a lot of exchange of articles a lot of exchange of have you read this have you watched this have you and then let's discuss like that that is a fun partnership i hadn't thought about that that the five will send all the stuff oh i'm sure yeah 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 (laughs) and i the important thing i think is good too that i don't think eights i don't think small talk matters to us and i get that small talk is a way that we build layers of intimacy with people and in a lot of dynamics you just like that's part of the interaction in civilized society but as quickly as we can get to all the stuff you're not supposed to talk about all the politics and religion and sex or whatever all that is man i i I have i jump into those conversations i think so often with people because that's where the good stuff is that's where i think but very often i think the thought the thought is well, if we disagree on this, then we can't be friends anymore. And I'm like, man, if we disagree on this, then this will, what a great friendship this will be. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, a couple of months ago before pandemic, we were at the same party, David and his wife and I. And I mean, it was three minutes I was there and I beelined for them and we jumped deep into a conversation about religion and sex. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like three. Oh, but, but that's what yeah. what I love about y'all, too, right. is it's like there's nothing that's off limits. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm trying to process something in my sevenness, I know that David and Kate will go there with me. Yeah. And w- without fear of going like, am I allowed to say these three things that I'm kind of thinking? <laughs> and David's right. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> that's the thing about eights. I have uh, my my studio used to be when I was in L.A. It was at our house. Mm-hmm. And especially then, we had really young kids around. And I always told people coming over to write at the studio, it's like the important thing that we're doing here is trying to create a, a piece of art that matters. And the conversations or the type of language or the whatever else that comes with that, I want to honor that experience. But because of that, every once in a while, kids would kind of walk in, and I'm sure they've walked half halfway in on all sorts of stories. You're like, "What in the?" It's like, Abigail, you need to go to the other Walk room. Back we, out. Need to, we need to finish our cover. <laughs> Feel bad for that, but you know what? It's all right. With eight, so that's how it goes. Yeah. That's how it goes. As they get older, you don't have to shield them quite so that's much. That's true. Yeah, here it goes. Yeah. yeah, we're getting there. I don't want to cop out with this, but I'm digging back into the book again to the next draft of the manuscript and I've spent the last and the novel he's written yeah. it's unbelievable Ooh. I'm dying I don't know if it's unbelievable I, oh, well, it's hopefully. So good. we'll see but I've spent the backstory is I've spent 10 years kind of chipping away at this thing and I only have maybe a month or six weeks a year that I work on it because I'm I've got another job I feel bad for friends like Annie who I've been talking about it for a long time now, but I really do set it down for about eight months and I'll pick it up again. But it exists. I got to read it. I made him go to breakfast with me and tell me what happens next. I was like, here's the thing about knowing the author. I don't have to wait for the second book. You tell me where this goes. So anyway, as I was kind of prepping for that, I've been reading the Gulag Archipelago, which is Alexander Solzhenitsyn was living in Russia right after the Bolshevik Revolution and spent I think a decade in an internment camp Mm. in Northern Russia. And he's cataloging how the 66 million people during the reign of Stalin were killed in such gruesome, awful ways. And we think about the injustice of the American story uh, towards, uh, towards black Americans. We think about the brokenness around the world, how the pandemic is obviously killing people, but also destroying economies, which, may take decades to rebuild. Suffering is everywhere. Right. And things seem really, uh, some problems seem really unsurmountable. For some reason, it has really fixed my eyes toward 
whatever the next thing is. Yeah. So much more. I, I don't know. I think that the thing that we are doing these hundred years that we live here, it matters. There's there's a reason why we're here, and we should take it seriously. Yeah. But man, I, I really have suffering can be a teacher to us and I, and so I, I think it doesn't have to be in vain and beauty is a real gift that we get to see around us but I think the next thing is going to be the thing where we're going to open up our eyes and go oh I was mm. made for this yeah. I was that's the real thing yeah and all of this stuff was valuable for reasons I'm not sure now and we'll figure it out when we get there but that's going to be the thing that I think when our souls really come alive and that doesn't mean that I want to check out of this place, but it, it keeps me from despair, I think, because despair can be pretty easy to, the more you dig into our histories. Uh-huh. When you talk about the next place, are you talking about like after we die or yeah. just, the, okay. I was just making sure, I didn't know if you meant like the next season in oh, America. In culture, no, no. Or just like, you mean like when we're with God in the next round of this right. for the rest of forever, mm-hmm. we're going to go, that's why that that's was That's what we were made for. And yeah, that's beautiful. From the tradition I grew up in, I would say heaven. But I'm just, just to make it wider, to yeah, say yeah. whatever no, no, that no. next thing is going to be, Yeah, man, I think that's going to be. I think that's right. I think God thing. is letting us learn something. And everything we learn now is not in vain. Yeah. It is right. meant to take to for it to stay with our souls, I think. Well, I would contend it doesn't have to be in vain. I'll push I, back. Well, I know, well, I know there's so much suffering <laughs> that doesn't teach us, that we don't mm. grow from, that we don't become better from. But I do think one of the beautiful things about the Christian tradition is that suffering can, we can grow from it. We, right. It can be a teacher to us, sure. but we have to look at it a certain way. We have to lean into it a certain way. Yeah. Grief can destroy us and we can stay trapped in those early stages of it. But if we walk through it, then it can be really valuable to us. Mm-hmm. I just know, I, I don't know if the suffering of every human has always been helpful to them, but there is, I think, hope in the fact that it can be really, yeah. so I can look at it in a certain way, yeah. All right, eights. was a lot, sorry. We did it. Uh, do not apologize. Okay. <laughs> that is exactly who you are and exactly who I want to be friends with okay. and exactly who I invited. I knew who I was inviting, the two of you. <laughs> Um, that's what I wanted. Uh, the last, is there anything we didn't talk about, about being an eight that you want to make sure we say? I don't know. I think, I think yeah. we got it all. Yeah. yeah. We covered yeah. all of it. Y'all did. <laughs> you like, if you have a question about an eight and we didn't answer it, yes, we did. It's not a real question. <laughs> <laughs> ask your eight friend. They'll yeah, tell you. Okay. The last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Mm. Tell me what you do for fun. Oh, I just said to a friend last night, I'm ready for fun. How long has it been since we've had fun? Right. Uh, because I do seem to let myself get uh, stuck. But I think for me, fun is being with people that I really love. Mm-hmm. Like just being with those people, like the ones that are like my people yeah. um, and doing something to like honestly travel. I know. Um, I was supposed to be in Italy last week. Oh, Um, brutal. Did not happen. Um, But so much of with me, it is when I'm having fun, it's when I can look at the person across from me and they like there's a connection there that's just they that's just like just a human like big connection. Um, But then also like I love a good happy hour. I'm like I'm ready for some happy hours and some patios and that kind of stuff too. So. Yeah, David. Um, a road trip. Yeah, I feel like being able to the travel part of it is has been really stifling. Yeah, but just to be able to drive and see places that I haven't seen before that would be fun. Yeah, where would you go? West. I don't know. Yeah, west. Yeah, the west just still feels like that, doesn't it? Just yeah. like let's just go out west. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would just be better. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank y'all for doing this today. Thank yeah. you for having us. Absolutely, this is great. Oh, friends, don't you just love them? I'm so thankful for David and Leslie. In my life, I'm thankful for the roles they play. When we were picking who would be on any of summer 2020, these two were really easy yeses for me because I knew that they were the healthy kind of eights I wanted us to hear from. So thank you so much to David and Leslie for making time and for being on the show and for sharing vulnerably about your experience as a human. I'm really, really grateful, and I love you both. 
As we are sharing all things Enneagram, I want to make sure to tell you about our Ennea Summer 2020 sponsor. If you're curious about your number, I encourage you to check out your Enneagram coach and take the assessment. They have amazing courses and tools to learn more about the Enneagram and building relationships with other numbers, which you know is really important to me. You can take the assessment by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash that sounds fun or by clicking through the link in our show notes. And as you may know, we've been saving a question or two for an exclusive YouTube clip after each interview. And so for this series, get ready. I wanted each of our Enia Summer 2020 guests to talk about the upcoming election. Yes, I did spring politics on them. So to hear the hot takes from the Enneagram 8s, head to youtube.com slash Annie F Downs TSF, like that sounds fun, or just click the link in the show notes below. And hey, if you identify as an Enneagram 8, share this episode with your people so we can get to know you better and love and understand you better. It helps so much when we tell our friends uh, what we need and how to love us. And so I hope you will share this and let that be the start of that conversation. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. Hey, and don't forget, we have special Innia Summer koozies over at shopanniefdowns.com. And so far, according to the orders that are flying in, the eights really love them, but not as much as the nines. The nines really love the koozies. And that conversation with our Enneagram nines is coming Monday. And y'all, it's so good. I cannot wait to introduce you to our Enneagram nines and for you to hear the conversation. But I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you and I'll do the same. And we'll see you back here on Monday with our Enneagram nines. Happy Ennea Summer 2020, friends. We'll see you Monday.